Uh, now, coming up to 7.36, let me just um, give us a quick introduction to where we've currently reached after weeks of talking about Catalonia. So we saw the Declaration of Independence at the end of last week, but Catalonia then going backwards in the eyes of Spain, which then suspended the region's autonomy, calling a snap election for December. And where does that leave us? Let's bring in Ana Andrade, Spain analyst at the Economist Intelligence Unit. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So um, perhaps you can just tell us exactly what happened at the end of last week in the Catalan Parliament, first of all. Uh, right. So on Friday, um, yeah, on Friday, the Catalan Parliament uh, voted the Declaration of Independence. This declaration had been signed previously, but it lacked uh, juridical value. So basically on, on Friday, the pro-independence parties put forward that declaration and it was approved in the parliament with a simple majority. Uh, this vote doesn't really have um, a kind of de facto legal issue value, but it was more symbolic. And, um, and it hasn't been recognized so far by any country or by any institution. And uh, after the vote, as, as you mentioned, um, the Spanish government then decided to trigger Article 155 of the Constitution. How far can we say the Catalan population was behind the vote that took place, even at a symbolic level? Um, so, I mean, we can only say it to a certain extent, because the truth is that there's uh, that the pro-independence parties in Catalonia do have a majority. Uh, they hold 72 seats in a 135 uh, parliament. Um, but actually, this is due to a um, not fully proportional electoral system in Spain, because on the 2015 election, only 48% of the population voted for pro-independence parties. So we can say that the vote on Friday didn't really reflect a majority, but rather a large minority, let's say it. But what we've seen develop in the last few hours is Spain's state prosecutor accusing Catalan leader Carlos Puigdemont of rebellion and sedition, um, mm-hmm. although he seems to have escaped to, to Belgium. How, yeah. how complicated does that make things right now? Um, well, I think Puigdemont did that in a way to protect himself, um, um, from a, a judicial perspective, a legal perspective, sorry. Um, he, he, cho- he chose Belgium in particular because Belgium is one of the few EU countries um, that puts more restrictions on extradition. And um, the, Belgium, uh, the Belgium government, if it accepts um, uh, Puigdemont as a, a political uh, exilum, asylum seeker, um, it will require the Spanish government you know, to spell out more precisely the accusations against Puigdemont and uh, also Puigdemont hopes that the Belgium judicial powers will have uh, a more, um, will scrutinize more the court case in Spain. So really Puigdemont's uh, trip to, to Belgium is really him hoping for a more favorable sentence um, yeah, from the Spanish court. Just as an aside, does it cause a problem for not only uh, Belgian-Spanish ties, but maybe within Belgium itself politically? Well, definitely, because uh, also, um, yeah, the government, a uh, Flemish uh, um, party belongs to the government, so it will actually provoke some kind of uh, divisions, maybe. Um, yeah, I think this is as far as I can say uh, yeah. regarding Belgian politics. Yeah. Well, I, I understand, but it, it's just interesting how that's going to 
put a lot of pressure on from another angle. Um, but Puigdemont himself right. and other Catalan leaders who have escaped uh, ha- have said they're not going to be accepting their respective dismissals. But their parties have agreed to take part in the election that's been called for December. Right. What, what exactly does this election hope to achieve? Um, well, there's different things now for different parties. I think um, for the central government and for unionist parties in Catalonia, this election is, is kind of a, a return to normality and to legal order. So actually, the application of 155 and uh, the call for uh, early elections was very welcomed for uh, unionist parties in, in Spain. Um, for pro-independence parties, they, they could refuse to run in these elections, but it will not bring them uh, any advantage or any benefit because they will just lose the opportunity of having a say in the Catalan future. Um, so it really, and I think they were quite caught up by surprise with the Fajoy's, I mean, the prime minister's uh, move to call elections so suddenly because they now have a tight schedule to decide whether they want to run or not. So until November 7th, they need to, to present the political alliances and how they're going to, to you know, to, to run uh, in this election. So I think it was quite unexpected. And, um, and, and yeah, I think that now they're kind of forced to, to participate in the election if they want to have a say in the in Catalonia's future. Is this likely now to um, extinguish... The, the, the real power behind this independence movement, or could we view this in hindsight as as the moment of of a major turning point um, that what we've seen in the last few weeks? Um, I think definitely independence momentum um, has decreased a bit. Uh, I mean, even if you look at today, for instance, today was the first day where you know the implementation of Article One Five Five started, and there was not really an opposition. You know, in the streets, uh, the transfer of power went quite smoothly in practical terms. Um, and uh, I think that, in a way, uh, it reflects a bit of uh, a lose of momentum from, for the, for the pro-independence uh, supporters. Um, but I think whether it actually killed um, the independence movement, uh, we can only tell that after the December election, because... The truth is that we're talking about a society that is deeply divided, so we don't really know what the election outlook will be like. And if uh, pro-independence parties actually secure another victory, then this means that, you know, independence will remain on top of the political agenda, both at the Catalan level and at the national level. And, um, and yeah, it will be a, it's an issue that, that politicians will have to, and the EU as well, will have to, to face. Well, yeah, then it becomes a kind of quasi-referendum, doesn't it, if, if we view yeah. the election in those terms. But, I would say so. But, but are there going to be options available for them? After everything in the last few weeks, it looks like Spain's going to, when I say Spain, I mean you know, the central government, that it's going to do everything in its power to prevent things getting this far again. Well, I think what we can expect is that if pro-independence parties decide to run uh, all, because we're still missing the far, um, the more hardline party to decide, but if all pro-independence parties decide to participate, then it's actually one of the first times that there will be space for a serious debate on Catalan, Catalonia's future to take place. 
And if that is done within the law, and if the election respects all guarantees and, you know, the Constitution and everything, and if still pro-independence parties uh, win, uh, then we think that Madrid will have not a lot of options but to deal or to enter negotiations with them. How these negotiations will evolve, it remains unclear. We don't know if it will pass just by first granting a bit more authority, uh, sorry, um, uh, fiscal autonomy, or by actually, you know, reforming the constitution. Um, but um, but I, I would say that if independence parties uh, win, then Rajoy, the prime minister, cannot really ignore uh, this reality anymore. Can you also help us understand why this is all happening now, uh, this year, uh, these last few weeks? Is it uh, a post-Brexit phenomenon? Is it uh, the Trump era that we're living in that's emboldening alternative independent voices, uh, the right to self-determination? Or is there some internal Spanish factor that is being less talked about? Yeah, so I wouldn't relate it directly with Brexit or or Trump. This has been um, an issue that has started to build up way, way before that. And... um, and I mean, there was always a significant part of the population that was in favor of independence, right? Um, but before the crisis, um, this support was only at 15% of the electorate. And in 2013, it actually jumped to 45% of the electorate. So we can see that the financial crisis actually played a huge role, especially because Catalonia was one of the regions within Spain that had to implement the harshest uh, you know, austerity measures, um, and unemployment climbed significantly. So, in a way, the financial crisis uh, also, uh, you know, fueled this this kind of support for independence. And uh, and a w- an easy way out was to blame on the central government, um, which w- was seen as the reason for such austerity or harsh austerity measures. Mm. Uh, but there's, of course, other factors, uh, such as, you know, historical and cultural factors that have also played a role in building the Catalan identity. And and to be honest, also a lot of mishandling of the central government, because uh, the central government was always uh, extremely intransigent, um, intransigent with uh, with the Catalan Catalonian government when they wanted just a bit of more autonomy and fiscal autonomy. Um, so in a way, it's a mix of all these factors that played into, you know, the situation that we're in now. In 2015, the election uh, held in Catalonia, the political parties actually said that, uh, the pro-independence parties actually said that they would fight to implement a binding referendum. Um, So this was coming, and uh, it actually just, uh, you know, tensions escalated uh, over the last weeks, but this was actually an intention that most of the pro-independence parties already had before. So would you say that the the future depends then on financial economic circumstances, that if uh, the, the, the region can recover from those austerity measures we just referred to, and, and if the people can be made more secure, that they'll, they'll lose some of the steam for the independence drive? Uh, well, I think that could be the case. I could answer that question with a bit more certainty some weeks ago, but now how the central government mishandled kind of the situation, um, I think that there might be some people that before just wanted a bit of more fiscal autonomy or more policy autonomy, but now I've actually moved towards more independence. Um, 
So it remains a bit unclear. I mean, what we know is that there's a significant part of the population that just wants fiscal autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we've also seen so far is that, is that there has never been a majority for independence. Um, so this means that there's a way out of this situation without being, you know, independence itself. Thank you very much. Pleasure to have you on the line with us. Thanks. Thanks. Anna Andrade, Spain analyst at the Economist Intelligence Unit.